There is a lot going on today. A day that's supposed to be kind of a dull day turned out not to be a very dull day at all. In fact, none of the days are dull as long as you're talking about Indiana sports. Carson Wentz spoke today to Colin Cowherd. We heard what he had to say about Jim Mercy. Kind of got lost on the high road. That's what happens when you take the high road sometimes. Trace Jackson Davis tested positive for COVID last week. And so his combine experience, that combine opportunity to wow a single general manager of an NBA franchise, poof, gone. Does that mean he's coming back to Indiana? How about T.Y. Hilton? The opportunity is still there for the Colts to re-sign T.Y. Hilton if they choose to, will they choose to, and Jimbo Fisher goes off on Nick Saban. There is cantankerousness within the SEC, and that is as it should be. But anybody who thinks that Nick Saban is somehow pissing down his leg here because of Jimbo Fisher, you out of your mind. Nick Saban will always be, has always been, and and is now strategic in the way he handles everything. This is Inside Indiana Sports Now for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. We're brought to you by the great people at Johnson's Plumbing. You got a plumbing problem, they got a plumbing solution, and they execute it perfectly. Call them, 765-610-8809. They are wonderful people. They've done work on our house three times. They're three for three, baby. We're also going to talk about Michael Wand stepping down as the basketball coach at Roncalli High School. I know it's a good move for him. I just hate it for the kids who could have played for him. And I don't know why he stepped down. I know he's taking a better job, a, an assistant principal gig at Roncalli. But good heavens, we need more good coaches, and parents are just shoving them out the door in a way where you're going to wind up with the coaches you deserve, parents. If I were a parent and I did this, I'd shut the hell up and let your coach coach your kid. All right, let's talk about Carson Wentz. And if you have a question of an urgent nature, make a donation. We'll see it. We'll respond to it. Carson Wentz said this about the Colts and about Jim Irsay. I had an awesome relationship with every single person in that building. Can't say enough good things about the people over there. Yeah, it kind of comes out of left field, you know. He's entitled to his own opinion, and he's entitled to do what he wants with his football team. Obviously, I struggled down the stretch, and the timing was poor. But yeah, I didn't expect that. I thought things were in a pretty good place there. This is the problem with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz does not know how to survey a defense and does not know how to survey a building. Everything wasn't cool inside that building. He didn't have great relationships with every single person in the building or he would still be the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. you got to have a good relationship with one guy in that building to maintain your gig. And that guy's Jim Irsay. And the relationship between Carson Wentz and Jim Irsay was strained from Jump Street. That's what it was. As soon as they got to camp, that relationship was strained. Not getting the vaccine, that strained that relationship because, and not about the vaccine, but it put Carson Wentz as the quarterback of that team in jeopardy on a week-to-week basis, and Jim Irsay didn't like it. That's the way it goes. You can't just hop, skip, and jump your way through life and think everybody's going to love you. You've got to be an employee who takes to heart a leadership role within an organization And Carson Wentz just didn't do it. And so Carson Wentz is now the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders. And there you go. Congratulations to him for taking the high road. Could have cheap-shotted toward Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, 
Frank Reich didn't, but in the process, sounded like he just didn't know what the hell was going on while he was here for the brief amount of time he was here, and that is never good. And when you're going to judge a guy based upon his ability to read defenses, you got to be able to read a room or a building first, right? And then some people are going to trust that you can read a defense. With Carson Wentz, he could do neither. And so, like I said, he's in Washington, and he'll confuse the living hell out of Dan Snyder until Dan Snyder says, wait a minute, what the hell did we trade for this guy for? We gave up what? Two third-round picks? Are we out of our minds? We're, he's going to take 70% of the snaps, and we're going to up that third to a second? What? How could that possibly be? That's what's going to happen in Washington. It, this is, I'm telling you, the, the road for Carson Wentz is so similar to the road that Sam Bradford traveled, except Carson Wentz was 11-2 and two that one year that Philadelphia went to the Super Bowl, right? Sam Bradford never had that kind of success when he was with the St. Louis Rams, but he was the same kind of guy, just uh, uh, unnecessarily, he just wasn't a very pleasant guy. We'll leave it at that. I'll take the high road. How about that? That doesn't happen often. All right, let's talk about T.Y. Hilton, and we're going to talk a little bit about Trace Jackson Davis. Stephen Holder wrote a piece in The Athletic today about T.Y. Hilton and whether he's going to be back or not with the Indianapolis Colts. And there are conversations that are still occurring between the Colts and Hilton. Uh, Hilton, it seems, either he or his people have told Stephen Holder that two teams have made kind of a serious outreach to T.Y. Hilton, but no offer was mentioned. And so you got a guy on the street who'd kind of like to come back to his hometown team but doesn't want to do it at a discount. 32 years old, he's got the neck that had surgery on it. He's had knee injuries. He's had a, a plethora of injuries. And so you wonder if he's going to be able to stay healthy for the first time in a couple of years. And, and the question to that is, who the hell knows? But you do know this, that wide receivers tend not to get healthier as they get older. We did find this out, which I thought was interesting. The first time I'd seen it, maybe I missed it. But Julio Jones has been assessed by the people within the Colts complex as not a good fit for the Colts. So they moved on from any kind of Julio Jones type of talk, which makes total sense. He missed seven games uh, in each of the last two seasons, did Julio Jones. So he's not coming to Indianapolis and probably shouldn't come to Indianapolis. You know what? The last two years, the Falcons, they said goodbye to Julio Jones. The Titans said goodbye to Julio Jones. That tells you a little bit of something. These are two teams that like to win. The Titans want to win, and they traded A.J. Brown, right? They're not going to allow Julio Jones just to walk out of the building without an offer if there's a really good reason for them not to present him with an offer. So that's kind of where you are. There's some questions about T.Y. Hilton. Among them, is he more likely to stay healthy and productive through his 11th season than he was his 10th? The answer to that is no. He could, but it's not likely. Uh, it's not more likely, I should say. If the Colts are in the market for a wide receiver, is Hilton the best available? I don't know. You look at the free agents that are out there, and you say, well, I understand why the Colts haven't signed one. Would they trade for one? Perhaps. Maybe. But the way it looks for the Colts right now, they're going to kind of go into the season looking the way they look with, with Pittman and Pierce and Patman and Paris and Doolin and Kiki Kute and Mike Strun and try to shake free three guys who they could put out on the field 
every single down and see what's what. And then you got Naheem Hines, who is kind of that wild card guy, that gadget guy, that Darren Sproles-esque guy who can line up in the slotting lineup in the backfield. You could go with a two-man backfield and split out one of the guys, send one of the guys in motion. You can do a lot of things with Naheem Hines. You can also do a lot of things with Jonathan Taylor. I would not put anything past Frank Reich. Um, will Hilton hasten or hinder the development of young receivers? That's a pretty good question. Is the opportunity that T.Y. Hilton would have throughout camp, OTAs, mini camp, all that stuff, and and then in the season, would that just take away an opportunity for a guy like Alec Pierce to be able to develop? Or would he be a necessary component, a healthy component toward that development? Do you need a leader in that room as a player, a room run by Reggie Wayne, who was a player not too long ago and a Hall of Fame quality player? Do you need a 32-year-old wide receiver in the room as a peer to kind of nurse these guys along, or is Reggie Wayne enough? Good questions. Uh, he's 309 yards away from 10,000, by the way. $8 million last year. If he wants to come back, he's got to do a love of the game deal, where he comes back because he just wants to play, not because he needs the money. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, positive COVID test late last week, unable to participate in measurements. Uh, he was scheduled for interviews today. Those will not take place. Um, you know what? And what that means for Trace Jackson Davis is really, really sad that he's not going to have the opportunity either on the court or off, at least as it stands now. And the combine runs through uh, Sunday. Let's see, Trucking Across America asks, who do you think would be the best fit in the slot in our wide receiver room? Tell you what, Paris Campbell is a slot receiver. He's big to be a slot, but he's a slot guy. If you want to shift Naheem Hines, over to the slot, you can do that too. But uh, right now, as it stands, Paris Campbell. Of the other guys, you know what? I think does Patman, even though he is really, really tall, I think he's got some of the uh, some of the skill set the slot guy needs. Thanks for the question. Appreciate it. And thanks for the donation. Um, so Trace Jackson Davis had the opportunity this week to make his case with general managers. That opportunity has gone by the wayside unless somehow he, he meets the protocols to rejoin the Combine before Sunday. And that's the way it is. And that's sad. If he comes back to Indiana, which I think would have happened anyway, look, he, the, the bar that he set was for him to be projected in the top 35 of the NBA draft. If he was outside the top 35, he planned to go back to Indiana. Nothing had happened to this point that would put you in a mindset where he was all of a sudden going to crash at first round party or be one of the first five picks of the second round. It just didn't. So Indiana, very likely to return these guys. Their roster is set. They got 13 scholarships, and those 13 are filled. All right, you've got Xavier Johnson, either Tamar Bates or Jalen hood Shafino at the two. You got Jordan Geronimo, Race Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis as kind of the front court. Uh, Geronimo is at swing guy. And with the bench, you got the, uh, the guy who's not a starter among Bates and uh, Jalen Hood Shafino. You got Galloway, Leal, Duncan, uh, Malik uh, Renault, Miller Cobb, CJ Gunn, and Caleb Banks. 
that's a hell of a good roster compared to what they had last year. That is, that's a Big Ten championship caliber roster if Mike Woodson can get them to play at that level. They got to be able to shoot the ball better. They got to be able to rebound the ball a little bit better. They defend well. This is a team, Indiana. I love Indiana right now as kind of a dark horse Big Ten champion type of candidate. Um, Michael Wands stepping down at Ron Colley. We'll talk about that for a minute. I hate to see it. He's a terrific coach, all-time leader in wins and games at Ron Colley. He's going to be the assistant principal. It's an easier life, I guess, as an assistant principal, but I think parents, not in this case necessarily. I haven't talked to Michael Wands. I don't know what's motivated him to leave coaching, but he's a really, really good coach, and I think that a lot of really good coaches are going into something else because parents are crazy. Parents have crossed that line between sane but caring and completely deranged and so heavily invested in their kids' ability to get a scholarship that it's made coaching completely unpleasant. And that's such a shame. Coaching is so cool. You get to impart so many great pieces of wisdom upon kids through that fulcrum of football or basketball or baseball or volleyball or whatever sport a kid competes in, boy or girl to have coaches who are really good walk away from that because parents are insane is such a shame. And, you know, you got games being canceled this spring because they can't find umpires and they can't find referees. You know why? Who wants to sign up for that abuse? You get paid a little bit of money. You do it more because you love the game and want to get back to the game. And parents make it completely untenable. It's awful. Something's got to be done parents have got to turn over a new leaf and become sane again all of a sudden. My dad never said anything as a fan in the stands. He did once. He, did, he yelled at me because I was not hitting the ball with uh, the requisite aggression. And, and so I got the message. Got a base hit. Line drive right up the middle off. Lee Kowchek. It was a beautiful thing. At any rate, see how important it is? Right? Alright, let's talk about Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher's upset. He called Nick Saban despicable about a million times in a, uh, a, a minute and 50 second soundbite. Uh, and he also said, his dad always said, when people show you who they are, believe it. And he intimated that Nick Saban uh, shouldn't throw uh, stones from his glass house as he talks about Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M buying an entire recruiting class. Nick Saban is upset. Because now the playing field is level. The best cheater doesn't get all the great recruits now. Because it's not cheating to go buy recruits. Now, boosters can go spend their money and go get recruits. And the NCAA doesn't mind because of the NIL deal. It's good for everybody. And it whacks Nick Saban down a few pegs. And I think that's good for everybody. He called him arrogant. I think that's fair. Nick Saban, arrogant, also insanely successful, but very arrogant and uh, kind of employs an ideology. He is very much like his mentor, Bill Belichick, very much like that. Um, you know, it, it, adults have such a tough time. Nick Saban's making $10.5 million a year, plus never has to make a house payment or anything. He just gets his house. The boosters are, are making the house payments. How about this? How about shut the hell up and and understand that you're one of the luckiest human beings in the history of the world to be able to do what you do for a living, do it at a high level, 
and get paid at the level you get paid to do it. Absolutely insane for coaches at this level to bitch and moan and whine about how their lives suck because Jimbo Fisher is going out and using the NIL rules as they exist today to go build a terrific recruiting class. It's just, it, it's not surprising because that's what these guys are. These guys are arrogant, they are insecure, they strategize relentlessly. It's just terrible. But that's college football in a nutshell. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Breakfast with Kent. I cannot wait to talk to you tomorrow morning. It's going to be fantastic. It's what we do.